0: Service, by its very definition, has to be a choice. So I think a lot of people feel like if they are service oriented, that they need to help everyone that asks them. And I fundamentally reject that. If if there's a mandate, whether it's in your mind or someone else saying, like people used to say to me all the time, but Jonathan, you're the service guy. You know, this person needs help. It's like, there's a lot of people that need help. Of my own free will, I get to say yes or no. I only have so much time, so I need to be strategic with my service. That's the first part is, you can't miss the strategy involved. That's first and foremost.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of the None of Your Business podcast. Sean and Lacey here with you once again, super pumped up about this episode because we're going to talk about some things that I know that a lot of you talk about, or at least in my work consulting with a lot of you, it's something that I get asked a lot about. You know, we talk a lot about culture and creating a culture, first of all, is not the easiest thing to do. And especially doing it intentionally. You know, a lot of times we end up with a company culture kind of by accident. And sometimes looking back, we're like, well, oh, that's not the culture that I really wanted to end up with. And oftentimes, too, this is a result of maybe not understanding ourselves how to navigate the whole business culture globally. You know, a lot of times we think that in order to get ahead, you're gonna have to be cutthroat, you're gonna have to step on a couple fingers in order to get to where you want to go. today's guest is going to talk to us about the possibility that that might not actually be true. So I'm super excited to welcome in Jonathan Kaiser. There he is. What's going on? Welcome to the none of your business podcast. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me.
0: And uh, it's an
1: honor to be on, you know, we start off every podcast with the exact same question. It's easy to find somebody like yourself that's had success. You know, you've written a book, you speak all over the place. And it's easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking like, well, that must be because, you know, Jonathan's father, Jonathan's mom, you know, they were always in commercial real estate. They're the largest commercial real estate developers on the planet. And they just (laughs) handed him this whole business. So of course, it's easy if your name is Jonathan Kaiser, but we oftentimes find out that that's not actually the case. And we love to start off by sharing with our listeners and our viewers your creation story. How do you end up in this place now? Obviously, you're a sought after guest on podcasts and sought after around the world for your speak for your speeches and for your workshops.
0: No, absolutely, and and I think you're right. I think it is it is deceiving a lot of times where people just kind of assume that things were handed to you. I, I had a very unusual upbringing. I was actually raised a Christian missionary kid in Papua New Guinea. My parents taught me to love and serve and give and have. to. That I to. When we came from overseas, when I was eleven, I had this uh, eye-opening epiphany that we were poor, and I had had no sense of the fact of rich, poor, uh, anything like that overseas. And so I decided at an early age, I don't like being poor. I don't want to be poor. What do I got to do to get ahead? So I figured go to a good school. So I went to UCLA. I was going to be a an attorney, but my favorite professor talked me out of it. He said. Do something that's more entrepreneurial i had to look up what entrepreneurial meant because i didn't really even know um and i sort of stumbled into commercial real estate nobody in my family's ever been in commercial real estate um but a friend of mine said i could make a lot of money in it so i decided you know that sounds good to me because that's my goal so as i got in i realized pretty quickly how ruthless it was i realized how cutthroat the whole industry was and everybody is just scratching and clawing and fighting their way to the top and i figured hey if this is the game i'm gonna play the game um and again from my perspective my parents had it all wrong because their whole philosophy of love and serve led us to the poorhouse. and so here i see a bunch of people being super successful and having a lot of money and doing all the things i wanted to do with my life and they were the ones behaving in this more cutthroat manner so i became cutthroat but as you can imagine being raised the way i was raised i was miserable I was misaligned with my core values, but I felt trapped because I didn't know a different way of doing business. And then 20 years ago, I went to a conference and a speaker started talking about a different way of doing business, a way of succeeding by helping others succeed. And I was just moved and inspired. I sounded like my dad. And I went up to him afterwards and I said, wait a minute. So this isn't just some shtick you say to audiences to sound cool. You You actually do this? And he said, yes. And I said, well, how does it actually work? Like, how do you... How do you succeed if your focus is on helping other people? And he he related it to hunting versus farming. He said, today, Jonathan, you're hunting. And when you're hunting, you have to go out, you have to get a piece of business, you have to close that piece of business, and then you gotta go out and do it all over again. So what I'm describing is more like farming. And I had this, I live in Arizona, and I had this uh, lemon tree in my backyard, and today it's a monstrosity. But back in the day, when it was little, it was this tiny little tree, and the dogs kept trying to rip it up, so I put a little fence around it but you know hammer those little home depot nutrition stakes in the ground on the drip line you have to really nurture it and you don't get anything out of it for a long time but then all of a sudden it seems like it starts producing fruit and then that produces more fruit and today if you guys need lemons you just let me know I'll send you a truckload right it just it just <laughs> just comes back in abundance and so that's how he described it and it made sense to me and he said if you're really playing the long game versus the instant gratification, short game, then you, you, you can be successful in this manner. And so that was the, that was the point where I decided I was going to reinvent myself. I was tired of being the other way. I, I was tired of feeling like a used car salesman, no offense to all the really ethical used car salesmen out there. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and reinvented myself. And from there, it's just been this unbelievable journey to where we are today to now creating one of the largest independent commercial real estate firms of our kind in the country. And it's all about culture, right? Everything that we do comes back to, we've created a culture that's distinct and unique in an industry that's known for the opposite. And for us, that's our rallying cry. For us, that's our differentiator. For us, that's what we stand for. We're a mission-driven organization that's really focused on transforming the industry and not just our industry, but other industries that are equally cutthroat that could use the same sort of reinvention as well.
2: Okay, so I, before we get to culture, because that is definitely something that I know both Sean and I wanna talk about, I wanna unpack a couple of things. First, mm-hmm. this is just a very random question. What did your parents do? Uh, when? Like, what, like when you were growing up, what was their job? Cause you said they had this idea of like love and serve. And Sean and I are both chiropractors by profession. And in our world, that is what people say all the time. Give, love, serve, give, love, serve. And they struggle with a lot of what you saw when you were being raised. And so I'm just curious, like what industry or profession they were in that they had that ingrained in them?
0: Well, they were, I mean, we were Christian missionaries in Papua New Guinea. So that's where it all kind of started. And then when we, when we came back, they were. My mom was a teacher. She was a Christian school teacher, and my dad worked a bunch of odd jobs. Never really had a super stable career, but he was doing different kind of lower level finance roles. So they 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 had poured their heart and soul into being missionaries, Um, and so that's where it all stemmed from at its core.
2: Yeah, and so I promise I'm going somewhere with this. So the next layer is the people that we you know that Sean and I work with and serve, again, because they're service-based businesses, they struggle so much with the big service heart, like your parents had too, and then the business side, right? And being able to reconcile those two so that they can have an abundant, fruitful, successful business, but still feel like they're serving. And what I'm hearing you say is that was the reinvention that you had to go through to be able to bring those two components together So I want you to just talk maybe a little bit more about that because I know that that's oftentimes a struggle for the people that are listening right now because they feel like they can't have both.
0: I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think it's the biggest when you're describing the business model, it's the biggest. It's the most important thing that has to be really explained because otherwise it's not clear how it all shakes out. So here's the first thing I would say. The first thing i would say relative to this is service by its very definition has to be a choice so i think a lot of people feel like if they are service oriented that they need to help everyone that asks them and i fundamentally reject that if if there's a mandate whether it's in your mind or someone else saying like people used to say to me all the time but jonathan you're the service guy you know this person needs help it's like there's a lot of people that need help my own free will I get to say yes or no I only have so much time so I need to be strategic with my service that's the first part is you can't miss the strategy involved that's first and foremost point number two that I would make is this is the long game so many people give up too soon they don't have the staying power right they don't they don't stick with it long enough to see the fruits of their investment these are long That's why I use the analogy of a tree. This isn't a radish plant that you have a, you know, a radish in six weeks. This isn't that this is years and years of investing in people. And for me, my transformation Lacey was, I had to not only reinvent how I did business. I had to also reposition myself in the market from all the people that had thought of me as a shark because I've been behaving as a shark you know, and and people assume you don't change. So you have to also demonstrate that and you have to be up to it long enough where the seeds you planted grow into mature trees. So that's the second point I would make. And the third is, I think so much of the time, when you're talking about love and serve, it doesn't have any of the strategic mindset behind it. Like, in other words, like I said at the beginning, you have to be able to say yes or no. You have to be able to choose where you serve and what you, but even within that paradigm, you have to be thoughtful and strategic. The way that I serve in commercial real estate, I don't just go out on the street corner and anybody that walks by, I ask them what they need and then I get that get started doing it. Like I could do that. It's probably a good stunt. I might get some press for it, but that's not what we're talking about. What I'm talking about is saying, okay, You're a business person. You're in business. You sell a product or a service or something. You want clients to pay you money for things. Who are the ideal clients and how are you approaching them? All I'm suggesting is that instead of selling them, instead of harassing them as normal salespeople do, what if you spent your time figuring how to help them without expectation of anything in return? It's a complete flip-flop paradigm. Like so much of the time I would hear people go, Jonathan, I love that. Everybody that helps me, I help them in return. I'm like, no offense, but it's literally the exact opposite of what I just said, <laughs> right? Like I'm leading with service, right? right. I, I'm starting it. So so what you just described is the inevitable 80% ROI on an active service. 20% of the people won't, won't do anything about it, will just, accept it and move on and and perceptually there'll be no still would fundamentally disagree you don't get value out of it but whatever perceptually you don't get any direct return but 80% of the time people are wired to want to help in return so really what you're talking about is activating the law of reciprocity and realizing that if everybody else is waiting for someone to help them before they help back here's a killer concept what if you went first and what if you stopped worrying about whether it came back immediately or not, because it almost never does. And just understood that the more you give, the more you get. I believe that you can't outgive the universe. Now, there are lots of times when the things that I'm doing did not or would not look to the casual observer as if they were in any way, shape or form furthering any kind of successful commercial real estate career because they were embedded in acts of service to other people. But to me, That's the ultimate juice, that's the ultimate leverage, it's the ultimate power, whatever word you wanna use. To me, selfless service, don't miss this, is selfish. I believe that the most self-interested strategy in the world is to selflessly and strategically help other people. I do not think there's a better bang for your buck. I don't think there's a better ROI in the world. Now, again, you have to be willing to say, I'm playing the long game, not the short game, but the way that you unlock relationships. I used to be a jerk pretending not to be a jerk and everybody knew I was a jerk. Now, I'm not a jerk. I don't try to convince anybody whether I am or I'm not a jerk and everybody says nice things about me. Why? (laughs) Because I spend my time helping other people, right? I'm I'm spending my time in service to others. So to me, that's because, Your your question is brilliant because that's the hardest part. It's like, well, Jonathan, I get it, but I don't want to go broke like Mother Teresa. I have bills to pay, I have a mortgage, I have kids to feed. You know, yes, 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 yes. So I'm not saying go be reckless and sit in a hut and hum and just ask people what they need. I'm saying take, not that there's anything wrong with that, but (laughs) why don't you take your current business and in every interaction you have with another person, try to figure out three ways you can help If you're now that takes listening skills that takes being present, that takes caring enough to do it. It takes follow through because saying you're going to do something and not doing it makes it worse. But if you can do all those things, you leave someone with a completely different impression. People are so used to being sold. They're so used to being marketed to, they're so used to the sales gimmick. And then you show up and all you're trying to do is help them in material ways. And then they leave you and they get these acts of service via email or text or whatever. And they're like, who are you? Like, what are you doing? You know, like, this is crazy. You do that enough times and everybody starts talking about how you're the crazy, you know, people call me, it started out as a, as a, as a, as a dig, people would call me the free community concierge. So I just leaned in. I said, I'm your free community concierge. You know, you need anything, you call me. And so now, people come to town, they're like, hey, there's this guy, you gotta call him. Jonathan Kaiser, most connected guy in town, you gotta call him. I'm not saying that, they're saying that. And why are they saying that is because I spend my time helping all those people and it creates this kind of cacophony of volume of, that's a good guy, you can trust him, he's helping everybody. And oh, by the way, he does commercial real estate.
1: Mm Absolutely love that. You have a book. You don't have to be ruthless to win. First of all, I need to know, Jonathan, what, what town are you in? In case I come to town, I got to know who to call. It's Scottsdale, man. It's
0: anywhere, right. anywhere right. If you come to Arizona, you call me. I got lots of juice here, brother. I'll help
1: you out. Yeah. Perfect, <laughs> Perfect. So I want everybody to check out the book. It's available on Amazon. You don't have to be ruthless to win. Now, we have this whole idea of selfless service, um, but then we have this word. I want to talk about this word, ruthless. You said mm. that selfless service is selfish, um, and so we're talking about this concept of giving selflessly, um, making the first move. And but you're also saying that in in your in your past, in your in your previous persona, you were you were ruthless. Um, I would love to know what is what does that mean to be ruthless. And i would love to know is that the opposite of selfless service mm, mm. well i would say the
0: opposite of selfless service is selfish service right so so if we're, we're getting into nuanced wordplay here but if you do everything just for your own benefit to me that's the opposite of selfless because to me what selfless means is you're putting the needs of the other party first so that that to me is the is the is is the opposite i think i think the opposite of ruthless would be kind gracious generous um not to take advantage of folks to me that would be that that opposite but i think your 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 point is a is a very valid one and a good one because in my experience being ruthless has a lot of forms so if you just talk about it as pure selflessness, selfishness, willing to do whatever it takes to get what you want without fear of consequence or, you know, violating societal norms or hurting other people or whatever. And I don't even mean in a violent way, I just mean like playing zero sum game mindset. You know, for me in commercial real estate, what I do, what my company does and what I was doing before, before I started my own company, was I was helping companies Acquire space for their business, whether they're leasing it, whether they're purchasing it. So within that context, I'm in a commission environment. So the bigger the deal, the longer the lease, the more they pay in rent, the more that I make. That was the structure. And so for me, being ruthless, one one example would be I'll, I'll tell you a story. So let really me change the name. So uh, let's just say her name was Lisa. So, Lisa was the CEO of a fast growing technology company, and they had raised a decent amount of money and they were looking to grow and they needed to hire a bunch of people. So, they needed space to put those people in. And I ended up talking her into hiring me. She hired me, and I ended up talking her into signing a 10 year lease on more space than she needed at the most expensive building in the submarket why did i do that because i was really looking out for lisa's best interest and thinking about wow if she i mean with her rapid growth she's probably going to rapidly outgrow this space in three years much less 10 years does she really need to be in this expensive of a building i was thinking about me i was doing calculations of okay 10-year lease that means double the commission of a five-year lease uh expensive space higher rates, that's more commission for me. So everything was about me, everything was about me. And within the environment, there's also, there's very little, there's very few rules in a traditional firm. And so you have people just scratching and clawing for deals. So that means you do whatever's in your power, if you're ruthless like I used to be, to get deals at your coworkers expenses. And that includes, you know, stopping by their desk and listen to conversations, trying to see who they might be targeting. So you could try to get to them first. So it's just this hyper competitive dog, eat dog environment. And for me, that was just the normal. That's what I saw in my opinion. It's not true that everybody was doing it or a lot of people that were trying to be the good guys or good gals and, you know, and, and didn't get as far ahead. But I saw this as the path to success. So for me, if you look at the way that we behave now it's literally the opposite like our firm one we only represent the corporate user of space or the tenant of course real estate is a kind of a scam that the majority of the big firms they primarily represent all these landlords and developers and real estate investors and then they go to these tenants and say they're going to help these tenants get the best deal but the reality is they're representing these tenants against against their long-term current and future clients it's just kind of a it's a big you know It's a conflict of interest case study, our our industry. So we only represent the tenant. And our whole mindset is, what's the best thing for you as the company? Because if I do the best thing for you and it positions you for your success, you're gonna love me. I'm never gonna lose clients. You're gonna tell all your friends about me. And so for us, the value proposition with A, when Lisa called me on the first strategy on the Ruthless strategy, Lisa called me one day crying going, Jonathan, Why did you put me in this horrendous deal? I didn't realize until now, how did you, why did, I thought you were on my side. Like that's one reaction. That's no more business from Lisa. She's gonna tell all her friends I suck, right? That's the downstream effect of ruthless behavior. Today, people go, oh my gosh, we interacted with all these brokers. They were all self-serving, all sharks. And then we met JK, everyone calls me JK. Then we met JK. And man, he helped us, he saved us money. And he put us in a situation that's best for us, not for him. And he didn't even make a lot of money doing it. And so then they feel bad. They're like trying to get me more business because they're telling all their friends, this guy's awesome, work with him, he'll help you, and he'll save you some money. So you do that long enough, to, it's a long-winded answer to your question. You do that long enough. And I believe that you create the necessary goodwill to truly create a long-term thriving business and that's what we've done so we're referral only we don't cold call our, everything our selling is serving our selling is going above and beyond for companies and trying to help them as best as we can now are we perfect no of course not but we are really really committed to helping the community willing to have anybody that reaches out to help within, within reason and making sure that our clients get ridiculously good deals. And so for me, that's my definition of service. That could be a very different definition for someone else. And so there's no one definition, but in my world, from my, the place that I come from, that's how I describe it. Good question.
2: Yeah, I love, I I love that. And I, I want to now, like, as we're nearing the end here, bring it all together because I think this is vitally important. One of the things that we talked about at the very beginning is this idea of culture. And what you're saying is that in your industry, in your world, the coming from a place of selfless service is against the norm. Probably most people that are in your industry aren't used to working in that type of environment. And you kept saying like we, so that inherently means your team and the people that work with you. How did you take this idea and this concept after you reinvented yourself and infuse that culture into a team? So that they got behind it as well. Because people definitely, as entrepreneurs, struggle with what they believe and how they want to interact with their clients and bringing that to make sure that it's infused into everybody that works with them.
0: Well, I can see why you both have a successful podcast, because that is a brilliant, brilliant question. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think I think culture is everything. And it, if we had... Two hours to pontificate, I could answer in a lot more thorough manner, but we don't. So the first thing that I would say is the fish rots from the head. You as the entrepreneur, whoever's listening, you have to be the change you want to see in your company. You know, like Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. So we have three levels of reinvention. Start with yourself. Has to start here. Then you create a company culture around it, which we'll talk more about that in a second. And then that's how you make sure all the interactions with community. So it's like radiating out inside out and it's that inside out revolution that's required for true transformation because a lot of companies, they decide that words on a wall are what they're about, but then the leaders don't live it and nobody, nobody lives it. And it ends up being a bunch of hogwash and that's the majority of companies. And so, you know, talk is cheap. And especially when it's catchy these days to say culture, our culture is great um a lot of the times that's a bunch of nonsense so for me how we did it again this is just my journey there's a thousand ways to roam this is just mine i decided that from the beginning i was going to create a very clear set of operating principles so we created 15 core operating principles for the company that guide all of our behavior they guide everything from how we interact with clients to how we interact with each other and what we what we do in meetings and what we don't do in meetings and it's a it's a pretty comprehensive list and it was created from my uh, realization, my epiphany of if I'm going to create a firm that's going to be disruptive, what is the sort of idyllic, optimal utopian view that I could create and how do I build around that? So that's that's point number two and I could again pontificate long on that. Third is you have to hire the right people. This is a hard, hard lesson that I learned. I, I thought that I could be a transformational agent in a lot of people's lives. I thought that if someone was um, enticed by the concept of doing business a different way, and it was through this you know, model that we espouse, the self service model, I thought that, it, that, that if people leaned in, they could transform. But what I found was I got a lot of lips service and unfortunately i let people in the in the organization that weren't good cultural fits and when the rubber met the road didn't live it so so i had to part ways with them which is always hard right so th- i think that there are a lot of people to answer your question directly that in their minds feel like what i'm describing is a cool idea oh i love that that sounds good it feels good inside and blah 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 But then when the rubber meets the road and they're thinking if I don't get this deal closed and I don't get that commission, I'm not going to be able to put in that pool or buy the house or whatever their objectives are financially. And so they sacrifice the culture in those moments of stress for ruthless behavior. So what you really have to do is you have to have people that are long-term view folks that are part of the team. And you got to constantly, every single meeting, every single you have to keep the culture alive. I view myself as the chief culture officer. My job is to make sure that I'm living it, I'm articulating it, I'm holding people accountable to it, that we are actively keeping it alive because otherwise it's sort of like a banana, right? It, it, it fades, it rots, it, 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 it it's not good in a week. So if you just think you can set up a culture once, and then you're all set, you know, it has to be reactivated, always, always re recreated within the organization. Um, and you have to be very intentional about what that is. Cause there's so much watered down and diluted culture out there that, you know, employees are, are wise to it. Now they, they know the truth from the BS. And so if you do the right thing, if you have the right culture, the word spreads, and it attracts people to you, and it attracts the right kind of people. Because that was the other thing we did is we tried to be very overt with our messaging. I mean, here I am a commercial real estate firm launching a new firm and I'm writing love and serve. You know, I like people thought I was crazy. Like that's no, those aren't words you use in commercial real estate, but it, okay. what it did is it, it for the most part had a magnetic effect and attracted the right people and rejected the wrong.
1: All right, so the book, it's available on Amazon you don't have to be ruthless to win. But you offer, it's interesting, So you, and, you, and you actually just said this, that you have commercial real estate um, and have found tremendous success there, but you're also um, tying it in with, the book isn't about commercial real estate, the book is um, this idea of selfless service. Um, and so I think that for everybody that's listening, one of those two avenues is something that um, they can benefit from Listen, I know a lot of our listeners, um, they one love to invest in commercial real estate Two, because they might have a brick and mortar on the side of, um, the service that they're providing um, might be able to benefit from your services as well. How can people connect with you, um, on one or the other or both? Yeah, sure. So the first one is easy. You know,
0: you don't have to be ruthless to win is on Amazon. Um, we also set up a website, ruthlessbook.com. If you want a signed version, you can go there and I'll get you one. Um, on the commercial real estate front, what we find is that most, most tenants are in lease arrangements that are that are uh, dramatically worse than they could be if negotiated properly. And so we offer, for, for anybody who's listening today, we offer a free real estate review. Some people call it a real estate health check. That's just a free analysis of your current real estate leases or current real estate situation, whether it's office, industrial, healthcare, retail, where we'll take a free look as experts and just say, here's maybe some ideas on what you could think about in the future. Or if you have an immediate need, or if you're looking to open up new locations around the world, you know, we have 570 people worldwide, if you include our global partners. So we have a global footprint. And anybody that has a real estate need or just would like to take advantage of the free Real Estate Health Check, we're happy to provide it. Uh, the name of the company is Kaiser. That's spelled the right way, not like the hospital. So it's K-E-Y-S-E-R, www.kaiser.com, K-E-Y-S-E-R. Uh, and, and my email address is jk at kaiser.com. So if anybody wants to send me a note offline as well, happy to uh, communicate with you there as well.
1: You know, He also provides workshops if you need some help putting together culture. That's at jonathankaiser.com. You can find out a a lot of information. (laughs) Yes. Jonathan, you absolutely killed it. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. All right, everybody. We'll we'll be back again next week. I don't know how we'll top this one, but Lacey and I will give it a go. Make sure you tune in. Then we'll be back with a brand new episode of the None of Your Business podcast. You tell all of your guests that, don't you? No. <laughs> no.